Praise the Lord. Are you ready yes. to receive God's word? Yes. There has to be an active reception. <laughs> the Bible says, receive with meekness the word of God that's able to save you. And so there's an active part to play in the hearing as well as the communicating. We're on week four of the I Am Sayings of Jesus. This is I Am the Good Shepherd. It flows on from last week's I Am the Door because it's in the same chapter and the same teaching. And I'm going to read all of the section on this chapter 10 of John's Gospel from verse 1 to verse 21 in the English Standard Version. I love the ASV. Two of my favorite Bible translations are, uh, or Bible Bibles published, are the Spirit-Filled Life Bible, which is a New King James Bible, produced with the editorial insight of Jack Hayford, who was in the church in Van Nuys in California, talked about leading and feeding. And the other one that I really like is the gold medallion winner of 2008, which is the ESV Study Bible. Very, very good Bible. And so I recommend the English Standard Version uh, for many reasons, and particularly that one edited by John Piper and team in 2008, the gold medal winner. Um, Very, very good study Bible, that one. There are loads of great Bibles, but they're two of my faves. That was for free, James. That wasn't even in my notes. That was for free. Oh, my goodness. It's going, to be, it's going to be full of that today. Let's read, I am the good shepherd. Jesus said, truly, truly, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Verse 7, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he'll be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill and destroy. But I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf come in and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there'll be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? That that link in verse 21 very much shows how 
chapter 10 is linked to the narrative that comes before in chapter 9. Chapter 9 is the story of a blind man who is thrown out of the synagogue for confessing Jesus and his healing to the Pharisees and the Jews that are around them. And Jesus in chapter 10 spins this teaching about the door and the good shepherd on the back of those events. In chapter 10, he likens the Pharisees to sheep rustlers. And he reminds them that he is the only legitimate access point for God's true sheep. I guess in modern parlance, he's showing that false religious pathways never lead to God. Even the Pharisees who were very close to receiving Jesus in in their Torah and Tanakh, they have teachings that point to the Messiah all the way through them, but somehow they were so close but yet so far. And Jesus was saying, just because you have the raiments and the bells and the smells and the ability to speak right and people waving in the marketplaces doesn't mean you're going to show them the way to God. You're like thieves that come in another way through the outside and your false religious pathways lead to a stealing, a killing and a destroying of a person's life. Because people who sow their lives into a false religious pathway only end up in a false peace or a false satisfaction or a false busyness. Jesus comes to give us the more life. Which is what we have in verse 10 of that passage. That Jesus come that I might give you parismos. This excessive life is what he's talking about. The more life, to use another translation of parismos, the greater life it's this sense of not just abundant but it's like life beyond your wildest dreams now the danger for us as christians is unless we follow the true shepherd who jesus clearly articulates as himself in this we can never know the lush green grass on the other side of the trip trap bridge and the troll will get us every time only the good shepherd leads us to the healthy places. And do you notice people said to me last week, Steve, did you preach on the door or the shepherd? Well, it's very hard because Jesus uses the language interchangeably, even in the section on the door. And whilst he claims to be the door, he also claims to be the one who leads the sheep in and out in that teaching. And the image there is of protection and provision. So what he's saying of himself is, I protect those who are my true sheep, and I provide for those who are my true, true sheep abundant life. But the good shepherd is the only one who can lead to true protection, particularly spiritually, and true provision, particularly spiritually, though we know Jesus' kingdom has much more in it than spiritual provision. So anyone who can bypass Jesus to get to people for false religious purposes in God's name is a false shepherd. And we talked briefly last week about things like the Crusades. We talked about the Jewish idea of one of the Ten Commandments, which is don't use the name of the Lord in vain. It's basically misusing God's name for different purposes than God would want to be represented. It's like wearing a badge of Yahweh on your top and saying, I'm doing this for Yahweh, but Yahweh's not in that particular business or enterprise. And there's lots of that, and it will all come come out in the wash on the last day. The Lord will judge the living and the dead. And we will all give an account to God. Christians as well. Says that, for the things done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, does that mean the Christian will lose their salvation? Personally, my theology says no. 
But I do believe Christians will give an account and some Christians will be saved in what they're stood up in. That's how I, I read the scriptures personally. 1 Corinthians 3 being an example of that final job review. Because sowing for things in heaven, Jesus talked about laying up treasure in heaven, needs to be the lifetime pursuit of a pilgrim sheep following the shepherd. Living in the light of eternity, to use a David Elm's passion. Uh, he has, does he have that on his desk? I think he did used to have that on his desk. For the sheep, you see, the sheep, nobody's in doubt who the true shepherd is in this section of the book. Jesus repeats, I am, I am, a couple of times. I'm the good shepherd. Nobody's in doubt who the shepherd is. The question is not who the shepherd is, but who are the true sheep. And the true sheep are clearly those people who follow the true shepherd, not the Pharisees or any other religious teachers, but those who follow Jesus, which leads us to preempt weeks to come. Glenn speaking on the resurrection and the life next week, but I'll be speaking on the way, the truth, and the life. They all kind of intermesh a little bit, but this sense of way, truth, and life, I've heard Billy Graham teach on this. It sounds in our world, and to a degree I understand it from a human perspective, it sounds politically incorrect. Jesus' own words make us cringe when we hear them. I am the way, the truth and the life. Now we'll go deep. I don't want to go into that. But Jesus said something there that our world will not swallow. That is so politically incorrect in our world. It shows the spirit of the age, the zeitgeist, the spiritual ghost of the world that we, we, we follow. This is the spirit of the world that they would reject. The idea that Jesus is the only way, the only true shepherd and all who follow him are true sheep. I was with an alcoholic in the week. I pray for him every time I see him. Every time I drive past, I pray for a good few minutes, even after I've passed him. He's had a miracle. He's had a significant miracle when I've prayed for him. We were on the way to the airport to the Isle of Man, and he was stumbling past us. He was not drunk, but he was in pain. His arm was literally out the socket. The kids were in the back. Rachel was in the front. And I said, Rachel, I feel I've got to stop. She said, we're late for the airport. Don't stop, Steve, we're late. I said, I've got to stop. We stopped, and I prayed for this man, and his arm in the moment <laughs> went into the socket, and all his pain left him. And Rachel was like, because <laughs> she heard the noise, because <laughs> he leant over Rachel to be prayed for. And so I'm, preach I'm speaking to him this week, remembering that event. He walks past my house. The timing of the Lord when you walk a dog. I wish I'd known about that evangelism tool <laughs> 20 years ago because, oh my goodness, it's, Scout's not yet saved. I'm, I'm trying to teach him a good foundation first so he can accept Jesus. One, do, one day he'll be grown up to be a true pastor's dog that can say the Lord's prayer. Woof. One day I'll teach him to pray as the Lord taught us to pray. But I'm there with this guy, and it's just the perfect time this guy is by the hedge, and he knows I'm going to speak to him. He's got that look in his eye. He just knows he's going to get it from me. I've caught him sometimes with big glasses of white wine and, and said, come on, pour that away. Jesus wants to set you free. And he quickly drunk it because um, yeah. he thought it was going to take his wine off him. But on this occasion, he was in his right mind. He wasn't drunk. And I just, I just went in for the hug on him. 
and he smells, he's dirty. He lives in a hovel, and I held him. I was actually worried, human side of me, worried that he was going to pick my pockets. <laughs> but I forgot my pockets, can't remember. Don't take my stuff. <laughs> Holding him. The Lord and Steve, all in one moment. <laughs> and in that moment, he, he came to the realisation that there was a heaven, there was a hell, there was a judgment to come, that he needed to repent of his sin and follow Jesus. We went through the gospel again. I think I've been through with it before. And he said, so you don't believe that all religions are equal and they all lead to the same place? I said, no, I don't. He said, I knew you were going to say that. And in that moment, he was, a, he was a, I know I can feel it, he was a step away from giving his life to the Lord. And I said, do you want to repent of your sin and give your life to the Lordship of Jesus? Do you want to surrender to Jesus? He's a Catholic man, there's a crucifix on his wall. And he stepped back. That, by the way, is a sign. Body language. They're not ready. He said, oh, it's a big thing, that, isn't it? I said, it is a big thing. It's your whole life. What's my point in telling you this story? It is a common mindset that people politically, sorry, in a politically correct way, think it's legitimate to say all roads lead to Rome. But it is illogical. They, don't, they cannot be the same pathway. They are different. And this is where we have to land with anyone, agnostic, atheist, or in any other spiritual pathway. Christianity is distinct. The shepherd is distinct from other pathways. So when Jesus in the Bible gives this unequivocal stance that I am the only way and I am the true shepherd and you climb in as a thief and a robber, as a spiritual religious leader, deceiving people another way, then as Christians, we've got to hold fast to that and not try to accommodate everyone in our interfaith gatherings, which some church leaders do, would you believe? It's okay to have friends from other faiths and love them, but it's not all right to say that they're the same thing. So that was last week. Where's my little clicker? I'm glad Charlotte's back from India because she might be able to remove that where's my little clicker phrase. I've just done it again. It sounds better on the, on the, <laughs> on the podcast. So let's look at the verses that are in view for this week verses 11 to 21 i'm going to come into that again in a minute verses 11 to 21 shift away from the image of the sheep rustling pharisees and access to abundant life through christ the door to the new image of the good shepherd which christ identifies as himself who lays his life down for the sheep it's self-evident who the shepherd is in this passage, so the teaching which John recounts is more to do with who are the true sheep than who the one true shepherd is. True sheep hear the voice of the good shepherd and know the shepherd well, according to Jesus. These sheep are not Jews only, that's his point in teaching. He said they're, they're, they're Gentiles as well. He's revising their thinking on the fact that he's saying, it's not just like the blind guy who's one of you, it's people beyond this flock who should be saved as well. So I have sheep who are beyond this fold, which speaks of the expansive mission of God. Of God. I'm going to go into three points now. There are three points in this. The good shepherd, number one, lays his life down for the sheep. That's in verses 11 and 14. The true sheep know the Lord, point two, and the, and the shepherd knows them. And three, there are true sheep who are from the Gentile world as well as the Jews, as Jesus teaching in this section. So let's look at that and try to journey with me through that 
um, on the right-hand side there. So number one, Jesus lays his life down for the sheep, for salvation. Jesus said in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There are many times when both myself and other elders in this room will have laid down their life, even on this local congregation for the benefit of the sheep. I can think of a number of occasions which stand out to me. In my experience, one occasion, I can't tell you the full details of it, but I went to rescue a man that was about to commit serious violent crime, but he was due to be baptised. I'd heard on the grapevine, it was muted, that he was going to commit serious crime that would have injured himself and others. So I went into a locked flat and rebuked him for his spirit that he was carrying and told him to repent of his sin. Nolan was outside sweating, I think, pacing up and down while I was inside this locked flat. Dad, after he heard the story, said, do you do realise, Stephen, that those types of characters can put plastic covering all over the room, wrap up the body, and you'd never see them again? So why did I go into that thing? Because the man had been a Satanist. He'd give his life to the Lord a few weeks before I was due to baptise him. I'd seen the man who was a Satanist change his black eyes to blue eyes in one moment. He'd been saved, but he was going to commit serious violent crime because he was, a, he was linked to drugs gangs in Liverpool in his past, and they were out to get him. So it was get them or be got. So as a shepherd, I, in that moment, heard the Lord say, when this person didn't turn up for a baptism, go and see person X, I'll not give you his name. That's all I heard that day. I went to Schem Church, came over to me, somebody said, he's not just bottled his baptism, he's going to do something terrible, I'll not say what it was. So I asked the Lord to say that he would protect me on that day. I heard nothing. All I'd heard that morning was, go and see person X. That's what the Lord had told me. And I kid you not, on that day, on the car park outside Skem Church, I considered this, and this is true as God is my witness. I said, in my mind's eye, is person X life worth yours? I genuinely went through that thought. This is risky. Because I was told, if I took another elder, they wouldn't open the door to me in the locked flat. So Nolan was outside sweating. I went in. I, there was expletives on the stairwell. Nice way to greet your pastor. And then I rebuked him for his sin in Jesus' name and told him to repent of his sin. His dark eyes were back. This is shepherding. It's not just about making people feel nice. It's telling people off sometimes. He sat down, stared at me for four minutes probably. It felt like half an hour. I said, repent of your sin. Repent. Are you going to repent of your sin? And he nodded. And when we prayed, he turned to me and said, I've got too many sins. So I'll just tell the Lord. By the way, he's, he's, if not said it, his black eyes were back. He said, I've got too many sins. I said, I was winging it then. I said, oh, just tell the Lord you're sorry for all the things you've done wrong. This, now watch this, please. This is the power of the cross. I said, Jesus, I'm sorry for everything that I've done in my wrong and I that I've done wrong in my life, and I turn from everything that's wrong. And then a smile broke out on his face. And his black eyes changed to light blue again. He said, Why do I feel happy? I said, Because sin makes you miserable. 
Did you see the power of the cross? Come on, church, this is good news. Did you see the power of the cross? If I told you what I was really in that room for, and I'm not going to put it online, you would see the mercy of God. This guy was a serious player. The love of God when Jesus died was so expansive it can embrace the darkest person and rescue them from their shadowy pit. Within two weeks, he was praying for the sick and seeing them healed. The blood of Jesus can save anyone. There's another occasion, I'm not going to deep. I remember even recently being with someone in a COVID ward. Did I lay down my life for the sheep? Yes. I was considering whether I should go. They were dying of COVID. I was eight hours with them in a small room whilst they coughed to their grave. I might even edit this one out, but this is the truth. I was nervous about going to that hospital. Why were you nervous, Steve? Because I've got a history of quite serious asthmatic symptoms. I put myself in that place because I loved the people at my own personal risk. Now, before this becomes about self-glorification, I want to make you smile. Because anything that I have done, and there are better shepherds in this room than me, wonderful pastors in our eldership, but anything that I've done that is a, a slight, slight flow out of God's heart for people as a Christian leader is small compared to Jesus. And my explanation of shepherding flowing in the stream of Jesus is like Mel Gibson talking to Jesus about how tough it was as a pastor. Oh, Jesus, I've really sacrificed, Lord. Look what the Lord did. I'm taking, if you didn't spot it, I'm taking your eyes off me. I'm pointing to someone who is the good shepherd. Look what the Lord did. You see, we romanticize. Oh, look at that artwork. He almost looks like Hollywood beauty. It's almost decorative, the crown of that painting. Glad there's no kids in the room. Look what the Lord did. For me, for you. And this is why when Jesus said, I lay my life down, and he gives a theological explanation later on, I have authority to lay it down, I have authority to take it up again. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the suffering he would endure for the saving of people. And let's just... I could spend, by the way, and this is not a ridiculous exaggeration, I could spend the next year preaching on what I'm about to preach through in a few minutes. Genuinely, this is, I might actually, re, a few years' time, rehash this as a six-month preaching series. Because Jesus is so wonderful. So what did Jesus come to lay his life down to rescue his people from? Jesus came to rescue people from their sin. Number one, can I say to you that the Bible says in Matthew 1, she shall bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Why, church? Because, because, because he shall save his people from their sins. 
is that good news? Anybody got any sin they need the Lord to deal with? Come on, church. The Bible says if we say we're without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So I'm glad we've got a Savior. I'm glad we've got a Jesus who the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of Christ in God. Did you see the rags for riches exchange? So when dad is preaching from Galatians about it was for freedom that Christ has set us free, has set us free. This, what it all merged together was Joe and others who were talking about coming out of darkness. It's just mindsets. It's just the way we think about ourselves that binds us or the way we think about others because Jesus wants us to know the truth that the truth sets us free. And Jesus releases people through the door of his life into good pasture through an understanding of what we call the atonement. The atonement, Miriam, is covering. Yes. You would know that. <laughs> it is the blood that covers. It is the covenant we have with God the Father through Jesus Christ the righteous. It is, I am right with God through faith. If you have faith in Jesus today and his blood, you are right with God through faith. If your conscience does not condemn you, you are right with God. That's why conscience is important. Isn't it good to be able to look in the mirror and know we are right with God? It should make you smile if you've really received it. Because the Bible says, happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And blessed is the man whose sins are covered over. And the Lord does not impute righteousness to Forgiven sinners, Jesus came to rescue us from sin. Jesus also came to rescue us from Satan and the demonic, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he? I, church, I wish the church of Jesus Christ understood the finished work of Calvary as it relates to dealing with Satan and the demonic. Now I hear a great difference in pulpits between over-the-top prideful confessions, like I'm going to give the devil a thick lip, which is just ridiculous, frankly. And, oh, you know, brother, I went to a mind-body-spirit fair once and I was told to, to, to drip strawberry, no, like red juice made with blood, around my stall to protect myself. All the witches that would be in the room. I'm trying to be respectful to the person that recommended that to me. Why? As Reinhard Bonke said, we're not the hunted. We're the hunters. I love the way Bonke used to speak. And I'm not going to time to tell you what happened at the Mind-Body-Spirit Fair. They're not coming to us. They're retreating from us. Because the Bible says, did you read it? I'm sure you have, in Colossians 2. He has disarmed all principalities and powers. Did you hear that? He has disarmed all principalities and powers and made a public spectacle. How did he do it? How did he do it? Colossians 2.15. 
triumphing over them in the cross. So when Jesus in John 19 says, Tetelestai, it is finished, it is perfectly perfect, it is completely complete, it is the dawn of the new reign of the second Adam. It is the stone table broken in Aslan's world. It is a risen lion. It is a new church dawn. The king is risen. Yes. And because the king is alive, we are on the run. I once went to a house clearance to an unsafe person. I was the only vicar they knew, this unsafe household. They had poltergeist activity, objects being thrown around the room, footsteps on the landing, smells, wind. When the doors were shut, the devil was having a party in that person's house. I went in, I sat down with a lady at her dining table, and I said, it's over there, isn't it? You couldn't see anything with your naked eye, but I knew it was over there in the corner by the telly. I said, I'm not interested in it. Did you hear my language? It knew authority had just walked into the room when I came in. Not because I'm a great Christian, but because I know the truth of my position in Christ. The Bible says Christ has raised us up and seated us, where? High above all rule and all authority, where? In the heavenly places, which transliterated in Ephesians is the spirit realm. So if you know this church, when you walk into the building, as Bongi says, you're not the hunted, you're the hunters. You're not under the devil's feet, he's under your feet. You're the one in control in that moment. Listen, I've seen the most demonized people enter my office space up there, and the demons didn't breathe a word. They weren't allowed to. In the past, we used to let people roll around in an undignified way while we set them free. And see who had the biggest amount of muscle spiritually. Can I say it doesn't depend on my spiritual muscle to get people free? It has nothing to do with Stephen Kerry if people are free. It has everything to do with Jesus and the finished work of the cross. And when God sets up a new kingdom through his son, the devil knows who's in charge. That's why Ephesians says his influence fills the universe. That means his reign has been established. That's why Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and on earth. Go and make disciples. He's passing the back. Go and do it. That's because I have this authority. Carry the authority and deal with the darkness. Cleanse the lepers. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Freely you've been given this stuff. Freely I've given you this stuff. Freely receive this stuff. Freely give. Go and do it. The church is on the back foot because it's forgotten the good stuff. To quote Jim Ormisher again, and it will echo in eternity, we, hello, come on, you didn't know it last week, we are on the, thank you. We're going to have his picture on the wall, whether he's an elder or not, with that underneath somewhere, I'm telling you. Until we've all learned it. We are on the victory side. Jesus came to rescue people from sins. Jesus came to rescue people from demons. By the way, I didn't finish the house clearing story. We dealt... (laughs) I just realised, come back to me notes. Scary. Scary, Miriam, I'm getting old. I went into a house and then we dealt with the demon when I'd led her to Christ because I said, if we don't deal with this first, you'll have no authority to make sure you keep your house clean. 
I said, can we just go over, have a walk around the room? We came to a house behind, would you believe it? I don't know where people get this stuff. Behind her bed was an Aztec image, which I recognized as an Aztec version of Baphomet, which is the image of Satan. Over her bed, directly over the demon that was in front of the telly that used to appear and do pantomime stuff to terrorize her. So I said, that needs to go. First of all, we cleanse the home of other stuff, books, occult books, nothing. That needs to go. As I picked it up, I felt the enemy follow me down the stairs, looming over. <laughs> we put it in the bin. She put it in the bin, actually. It's smash. Her unsaved daughter came to the house the following day. Mom, your house feels really light. Unsaved daughter. The footsteps, by the way, stopped on the landing. As did the smells and the, br and the wind. She was completely delivered. Why? Because we have authority. Even the smallest Christian, even the child, can cast out devils. The enemy knows this. It's hidden from the church. I could tell you so many stories of people being set free, but we haven't got time. Jesus came to rescue people from sin. Jesus came to rescue people from Satan and demons. Jesus came to rescue people from circumstances. Church... Many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord saves them, as I said last week, out of some of them. <laughs> I can see he reads the Bible. They're like, doesn't say that at all in the Bible, Steve. Doesn't say that at all. He's just thumbing through it violently. Many are the afflictions of the righteous ones but the Lord saves them out of them all. Jesus also said, in this world, you will have trouble. Like, you can take heart. I've overcome the world. How, how, how Jesus? I don't get it. I don't, I don't want trouble. Well, you know, Listen, listen in. Jesus calls us to listen in. And he would say this to us. I was just passing through. And if we understand that reality, that we are pilgrims and sojourners in this world passing through, good book to study would be Pilgrim's Progress, we would reframe our life to prioritize what matters to God. Pilgrim, you are precious to God. He knows your pain and he cares, but sometimes for, for a mysterious reason, he just allows it. As, as Rip Warren rightly said, life is a trust and a test. All of it. We must trust God in the dark times. Sometimes our faith is being tested, but the end point is, the test in our faith, of our faith will be found to praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Jesus Christ in his second coming. Patience in affliction leads to reward in eternity. Faith in suffering leads to perfection in the world to come. Promotion in the world to come. Because even Jesus, the Bible says in Hebrews, was made perfect through suffering. And whilst me of all people will preach a healing theology... There are mysteries which I do not understand. I think of a time when I went to see my Auntie Evelyn with Rachel. Rachel saw an image of a golden crown. We didn't even know she was dying. 
She just had a bloated tummy at the time and her legs were swollen up. She had terrible cancer. We didn't know. And then I saw Auntie Evelyn on a, on a promenade with a bright smile on her face, looking incredibly happy in Landudno. I knew it was Landudno. I kept that to myself. I thought, that's weird. I, I must have had cheese or something the night before. or yeah. I've not slept properly or something. And then her son, Philip, invited me back. He saw me weeping at Mum's funeral because I dearly loved my Auntie Evelyn. I, he invited me back to his house and he gave me this... However, I hate whiskey, by the way. I've been to a whiskey trail and smelt the vats. But it was, it was Philip, and it was a moment to remember his mum. So I was like... And in that moment, we had lots of exchanges, but I said to him, What's, was there anything significant about Landudna? He said, oh, yeah, mum and dad were going to retire there. Dad was going to mend boats. He was a chief engineer on the ships. And they, would, they just dreamt that was their dream, but it was cut short because Dad died in his 50s. And, of course, Mum's just passed, so it never happened. And I never really mused until recently, is it possible that lost opportunities in this life are restored in the new heaven and the new earth? Is it possible that God who said, behold, I make all things new, can give us what we lost in this life and more beside God is no man's debtor. God is not cruel. God is not unmerciful. The image of my Auntie Evelyn, God knew, was a restored woman looking full of joy. Now, I, I know other people. Marjorie Redfern saw Ian McCauley with a smile on his face before he went. She didn't know it was the passing. It was the joy he was going to experience. Now, it doesn't help people hearing that in the time if it was shared. But we know it's a truth. That heaven is a glorious place. And we will see our loved ones departed again. When we colonize the new heaven and the new earth with Jesus, our King. Is that good news? Yeah. I'm only going to get through point one. Did you notice? Yeah. I'll have to carry on after Glenn's done his thing. <coughs> the other two are also nice points as well. So I must finish this. This... <laughs> Thing. Jesus came to rescue people from their sin. Jesus came to rescue people from Satan and demons. Jesus came to rescue people from circumstances through the understanding of pilgrimage. I'm just passing through. There is hope. There is eternity. Jesus came to rescue people from death. Did you spot that in what I just shared? It says in the Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, this perishable body must put on imperishable. This mortal will put on immortality. Does that sound good? Yes. It's a reading that we often have at funerals, but it is a truth. Let's just meditate on the truth of that. You will one day get a body that is imperishable. That is pretty cool, particularly as you get, start to get old, start to feel a few aches, that you will get a body that is so robust it lasts for eternity. How cool is that? That's beautiful. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he die, he shall be living. We're so familiar with this stuff, we, we don't embrace the truth of it. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to, to, to light through the gospel. Immortality. It's beautiful, isn't it? Jesus came to rescue people from their sin. Jesus came to rescue people from their circumstances. 
from Satan and the demonic, from death. And Jesus also came to rescue people from hell. There's a common misconception that Jesus never talked about hell, particularly outside the church. This is false. In fact, Jesus talked about hell more than any other figure in Scripture. He even talked about hell more often than he spoke about heaven. There's also a misconception that hell is only mentioned in the Old Testament. They don't believe it could be mentioned in the New Testament because, of course, we preach good news. That's not good. Even that alcoholic this week, he said, surely that's harsh, isn't it? Eternal judgment. And we talked about the mindset of God towards sin and the justice of God and the mercy of God. But we can't stop preaching the truths that Jesus gave us. There is a heaven, there is a hell. Matthew 8, 12 tells us the children of the kingdom, he's speaking there of the Jews, I believe, in the teaching of the uh, healing of the centurion servant. The children of the kingdom will be driven out into the darkness, whereas where there will be grinding of teeth. Also in 2 Thessalonians 1.9, it says that they will be punished with everlasting destruction. That's why I can't believe in this idea of annihilationism, that they have a finite amount of time and suffering, then it's gone. The Bible's clear that there is an eternal torment for those who reject Christ. Hell's mentioned in great detail in the book of Revelation. One example would be that it says that the smoke of the fire that torments them will rise forever and ever. It echoes Jesus' words there. Worm will not die, their fire will not be quenched. Jesus said in his own words, I tell you the truth, my friends, don't be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that do no more. But I will show you whom to fear. These are Jesus' words. I will show you whom to fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Not believing in hell, whether you're a Christian or not. There are Christians who don't believe it. I remember Rob Bell producing a book called Love Wins. Rob Bell was an amazing Bible teacher. And he was just sense of idea that all roads get in. Hell's not a real thing and everyone gets saved through the cross. It's such a destructive and a lying doctrine because there are people on fast train to hell and torment. And to hear this sounds depressive to the Christian ears, but it should motivate us to mission. It should motivate us towards rescue. It should motivate us away from being inward facing to be outward rescuing. Jesus said in Matthew 25, 46, the righteous will go away to eternal punishment Sorry, the unrighteous will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. He's unequivocal. There's an eternal destiny for those who don't know Jesus. How are we doing for time? Can you last 10 minutes so I can get this done? Your last 10 minutes? I'll do the next two in 10. If you believe that, you believe anything. I'll do my best. That means I don't, and that's why I can stick my program then. Second point. Jesus calls us to intimacy. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now, the point is obvious here. Knowing Jesus, the good shepherd, is a matter of eternal life. That's it. It's not faith necessarily. It's knowing him experientially. Jesus said in John 17, 3, this is eternal life, that they may know you, 
the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Now, I was reading my friend's Facebook yesterday. He's an apostolic leader in South Africa who leads hundreds of churches. And he wrote this, uh, if you can read it. He said, and his title were, I know God. Wow, what a statement this is. Recently, I was challenged by an atheist agnostic friend of mine about the arrogance of faith. In the conversation, I realized that while I am on the only true, that I am in the only true faith, that my relationship with God is no longer based upon faith, but actually upon knowing him. Here's my response to my atheist friend, this apostle wrote. I know God. Yesterday, I heard his voice. My life is full of him. I don't have some blind faith, and I don't need to guess. To say I'm convinced is too weak a statement. I know him who made I know him who made the universe. I know God better than I know you. In the same way that I don't need to be convinced that you exist, I don't need to try and convince myself or have faith that he does. Because like you, like I know you, I know God. But I know God better. I hear his voice daily. I see him respond and move in my life and in the life of others. He tells me what he wants. He tells me things about myself and others I do not know. I did not know. He leads me daily through, the, through my day. I sense and feel his presence. My friends who know him also hear his voice. And when we're together, we'll all hear him saying the same thing to us all. A friend of mine was touched a few days ago and was raised up from his deathbed with a medical miracle just because we asked God to heal him. I even know even everything about, he even knows everything about me, but I do know the one who created this universe and who knows all things. I know him better than I know you. The Bible tells us that my experience is not unique to me and that all who come to the true faith will not need to have just faith, but that we will come to actually know God, the one who made everything. And he quotes 1 John 2.14. I write to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. Now, that, that experience of one Christian might trouble some who are not quite there yet. Remember, he's an apostolic leader. Well, there are flavors in that that you should have in your experience. One of the experience of God in your daily life should be a truth for you. Not knowing Jesus is a matter of eternal judgment. Knowing him is a matter of salvation. Do you remember in Matthew 7, it says, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you see what's important to God? It's the experience of the Lord. And the thing that concerns me with that passage is the people in question casted out demons and did many signs and wonders in his name and Jesus throws out those who don't know him. Do you see the priority of intimacy to the Lord, to know the Lord, really know him experientially? I don't need to expand on that. Let's go to point three. Point three. Finally, his rescue plan is expansive. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Now, what we must glean from this is that Jesus is calling the church to carry his heart for the nations. Because God beats for the scattered children of God, and we must adopt his heart. Listen to John 11, the chapter after we read it where Caiaphas, the high priest, speaks up talking about Jesus saving the people, the Jewish people, from their sins. And it says in verse 51 of John 11, he did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation, and not only for that nation, 
but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Do you see God's heart in the same passage? God wants to rescue much further than the Jews, all the nations. And what's his final end goal? To bring them together as one. Do you see the priority of unity after intimacy? I can see you fading now, so I'm going to really try and land this quickly. Unity and intimacy. And the two are very much linked. When the church are individually intimate with Jesus, unity happens. I heard a story of Jonathan Kent, and I think the same, same story from Jim Ormisher. When renewal and revival seasons happened, different testimony, same idea, churches where there was conflict, where there was division, come into unity when the presence of God starts to manifest. Because sin can't reside in the presence of God. And people get that unity that makes us intimate and then causes us to reach out with God's heart for the scattered children of God. Spurgeon said this about needing to have God's heart. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. It's very challenging language, isn't it? But I think when you've been transferred from darkness into light, you knew where you came from and you're really concerned about rescuing others from that pit. He also said this, and I love Spurgeon's writings. He said, lost, 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 better a whole world on fire than a soul lost. Better every star quenched and the skies a wreck than a single soul to be lost. This is God's heart through the preacher, the prince of preachers there. We need to pray. If you don't have that heart, it's not about being an evangelist. God, give me a concern for those who don't yet know you. I'll share with you another day about Arrow and God's heart for the world because the expansive mission of Jesus is what we're called as a local church to reach. How do I want us to respond to God's word? I am finishing. Genuinely, this isn't a preacher's ploy. I would like you to respond in three ways to that message. <clears throat> James, if you can just come and play. <clears throat> Here are the three responses. There'll be those who, while I was preaching, they have a heart for the lost. I want them, the Lord to use them more in mission and evangelism. I'd like you to respond in a minute when I ask everyone to stand up. We don't know who, who needs to be responding to what. And it doesn't matter if you stay on your seat. It's not an ego drive. But some of you will have heard the Lord's voice through the preaching of his word. I'm going to ask, firstly, people stand up if they want to respond to God's call on their life to be more effective in mission and evangelism. There'll be others amongst that crowd who stand up who want to know Jesus, the good shepherd, intimately. They long for intimacy. There'll be other people, third one, who stand up who need the Lord to save them. And I'm not just talking about save their soul, but maybe from sickness or from demonic oppression, which can come on the Christian, I've seen it, or on circumstances that are troubling you, or even a fear of death or a concern about hell, the things that Jesus came to save us from. Any of those things, sin, sickness, Satan, circumstances, death or hell are a concern for you. You two stand up and I'll pray a general prayer. And then in your own heart, I want you to respond to God with a prayer specifically from your heart to the Lord and the Lord will hear you in this moment so can we just have a response to the word and then we'll worship together to close the service
Okay, so stand up, please, if you want to respond to God's call to mission evangelism, you want to know Jesus, the good shepherd, intimately, or you want the Lord to save you from sin, sickness, Satan, or circumstances, death or hell. Can you do that now, please? So, like, as you just stood up then, I heard the Lord say to me, my word is a light. I feel like the Lord is saying to people in this room today, you carry the light. And I feel like the Lord's saying to me that you have underestimated your potential. This will go right into the heart of some people right now. You've underestimated your potential to be effective for me. You've underestimated your potential to serve me and what can be achieved for me. But I have come that people might have life in all its fullness. And I give you light through my word. What will you do with that light? What will you do with that light that you carry? How will you serve me with the light of my word in your heart? For the light you have, for some of you, that's all you need. You don't need to go deeper in the sense of understanding to to have an effect. Some of you would like to be perpetual students, but the Lord would say to you, I want to raise you up with what you already have in your hand to be effective with the light you have, and then I'll give you more. God calls people out of the shadowlands this morning. This has been the theme of the surface. God calls people out of the shadowlands into a place where they know their effectiveness. They know their position in Christ. They know the light of the word they carry. They know the impact they can have because God is with them, not because they're good enough, but because God is good and he's with them and for them. Doesn't the scripture already say that? God is for you. Who can be against you? So as the Lord calls you out, some of you out of the shadowlands of the past, that's been the theme of the service. It's time to consecrate your heart to the Lord again and realize that God has a bright future for you. There isn't anyone on planet Earth who follows Jesus who has not got a bright future. It is impossible for a follower of Jesus to not have a bright future. And so the Lord calls you into partnership this morning, into a stance of effectiveness with the gospel through your response to the scriptures, the way you apply them to your life, the way you carry them into the world. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you breed an effectiveness in this church amongst everyone from the children through to the very elderly. Lord, I pray that you would take us beyond what we thought we could achieve in God to a new season as a church. Lord, I pray that this new beginning that's been spoken of prophetically today would become more than just something muted, but something that has a concrete outbreak. Lord, we pray for revival, Father, but not so we might have an experience of God only, but that we might be intimate with you and love you and be changed to be in your image. Lord, that others might be drawn into the light of the kingdom of God through the burning torch of your presence amongst us. Father, we pray for the beacon on the hill, the beacon on the hill moment, Lord. We pray for the revival of your presence in this house, Lord. We pray for heaviness to go in Jesus' name. And Lord, that the neglect of the scriptures in this house would be an end today, that we would take up the scriptures every day and we would ingest it, not because that's what Christians should be doing, but because the scriptures are light for the perishing world. And Lord, I pray today and every day we'd love you more. Every day, more and more, Father, grow in our love for you. Lord, call people to the mission field. Call people deeper into evangelism. Call people into intimacy deeply, Lord, and save people from their sins, their sicknesses and Satan's strongholds in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. 
Thank you, Lord. I, I feel like this morning, it feels to this day really heavy. And the Lord says to you, I hear the bleat of my sheep. And I really am hearing that bleat right now. I feel like the Lord would say that. I hear it. And I am a kind shepherd. And I will come to you. So continue to pray. Continue to believe. I have heard the bleating of my sheep, says the Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. I believe in the years to come, the Lord would call us to give more than we've ever given before. All of us, in different ways. Because the, the, the need is so urgent that the world is about to break into in the decades to come. This is a year of revival. It's also a year of tremendous challenge for the church. The enemy is not going to allow a fire to burn without throwing water in our direction to put it out. But God would take us into the new dawn. He really would. And that's a corporate and a global thing of the spirit, I believe. So let's believe the Lord for that because it's good what God desires to do in the nations. Thank you, Lord. James, can you just finish with a song with us as people pray and worship in their own space? Thank you.